0: please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about pop culture from a Jewish perspective and talk about Judaism through the lens of pop culture. I am Rabbi Michael Moth, and I am joined, as always, by my partner Ra- in crime,
1: Rabbi Jesse Olitsky.
0: <laughs> and today we are talking about Watchmen, the new HBO series produced by Damon Lindelof, uh, who you might remember from uh, Lost or The Leftovers, Uh, and uh, it is a continuation uh, of sorts or even some might say a sequel of uh, the uh, graphic novel by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, uh, the celebrated and storied graphic novel uh, called Watchmen um, uh, that was uh, eventually turned into a movie in 2009 uh, by uh, Zack Snyder, uh, a controversial movie, uh, one that uh, some liked and some despised and some loved. Um, and uh, and now it's uh, turned into an HBO uh, series. Uh, Jesse, do you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, about the series? And I'll just warn before Jesse starts that we are going full spoilers in this. So if you have not watched the first two episodes of the show, or if you uh, have not seen the movie or read the graphic novel and are planning to and don't want spoilers... Stop listening here and uh, come back and join us uh, after you've caught yourself up.
1: Sure, Mike. Um, Full disclosure, I hated the 2009 movie, um, and so I went into this series with a lot of trepidation. I've been pleasantly surprised. In order to understand and appreciate the series, though, you need to understand the synopsis of the graphic novel. So it's a complicated story. I'll try to do it in about 90 seconds. Um, the story takes place in alternative reality, and in that graphic novel in the mid-80s, it was a time when vigilantes were no longer seen as heroes, but they were outlawed because of their violent methods, because they were often not only helping heroes, but they were also uh, helping uh, crooks and criminals. Um, and at that time, uh, uh created this false flag attack uh, on a large metropolitan area in order to show that heroes could then save the area. Um when Mike and I were talking earlier, Mike, remember I, I sort of compared it to uh the boys when we reviewed that Amazon Prime show yes. um a number of weeks ago and how there was corruption really in these superhero worlds. Um Rorschach was one of these vigilantes who wanted to um to tell the world of Mandias's wrongdoings and was vaporized by Dr. Manhattan, the only uh, superhero who actually had superpowers and then left to go off to another planet, to go off to Mars. This self-imposed show, exile. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this show takes place 34 years later in this alternative reality in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and centers around the Tulsa police force. Um, in... Uh, 2016 on Christmas Eve, there's a flashback that shows what is referred to as White Night when uh, a white supremacist group, the 7th Calvary, which is like an offshoot of the KKK, uh, went to the homes of the Tulsa police officers and started shooting at them, executing them, uh, so much so that only two officers Stayed on the Force, Detective Angela Abar, who's played by Regina King, uh, also as a vigilante known as Sister Knight, and Chief Judd Crawford, the great Don Johnson of Miami Vice fame. Um, and uh, this police force was rebuilt in a way that required all the police officers to wear masks, the sort of a role reversal of a vigilante. They're all wearing masks in order to protect their secret identities so that their Families are protected so that their uh, personal lives were protected when they were off duty. Um, The pilot episode goes all the way back to 1921, an important part of American history that many history books overlook or ignore, Tulsa's Black Wall Street Massacre. When the uh, white supremacists in Oklahoma destroyed the affluent and progressive and successful black community um, and really prevented them both through violence and intimidation of uh, being successful in business in that area for many years. And uses that as a ripple effect to uh, modern day to 2019 in the Watchmen series. Uh, The president at the time of the graphic novel was President Richard Nixon, a successful right-wing president. Uh, In that alternative reality, the U.S. won the Vietnam War. Vietnam became a part of the United States, um, and he was this storied, heroic president. Now, in this alternative reality of 2019, Robert Redford is president. He had been president for decades and he is seen as this liberal and progressive voice. And it's the job of the Tulsa police force to enforce the liberal policies and laws that have been put in place. And the seventh Calvary, this white supremacist group is really pushing back on the police because they're pushing back on uh, the liberal values that are trying to uh, be enforced by the police. Uh, Notably. As a result of Tulsa's Black Wall Street Massacre, there are reparations that were put in place and uh, survivors or descendants of this massacre could receive financial reparations, as uh, is commonly referred to as Redford rations um, <laughs> in the show. Um, and it really goes to show how there's this role reversal of police um, and what their job is in enforcing the laws. Um, it really, uh, the end of the second episode, spoiler alert, uh, at the end of the first episode, Don Johnson is murdered. Um, chief Judd Crawford is, is murdered, although he comes back throughout the series in flashbacks. Um, but at the end of the second episode, uh, Regina King's character, Angela Abar, finds uh, a KKK hood in his closet. That shows that this police chief, this leader... Uh, of law enforcement whose job it was to enforce special reparations to, for victims of racial injustice was himself a closeted white supremacist. Um, I, I mean, I'm assuming I, I haven't seen any of the other episodes yet, but he himself had skeletons in his closets. Um, so quite disturbing. I think there's something that we can really touch upon in that regard. Um, but we'll pause there, um, because I think there's a lot of tension in our conversations about police and the role of police in this show. Um, But because it begins with this black wall street massacre and uh, reparations are really a peripheral storyline, but also I I think underlying and subconsciously a central storyline, Mike, I want to ask you, uh, what do you think the role of history and memory plays in shaping values and policy in this alternative reality?
0: yeah it's it's a really really good question let me just say uh a couple of things uh, um just uh, uh before i start you know off of your introduction uh, the first is i also uh was kind of ambivalent about uh, the 2009 movie i thought it had some i thought it had its moments uh but um uh, but it was not particularly compelling uh going back and, and reading the graphic novel uh, was uh, uh, was really helpful in appreciating this series, but also appreciating how um, how earth shattering that uh, that uh, that series that graphic novel series was, and and how uh, dense and thought provoking um, uh, it is. And so, in some ways, this show is really worthy heir of it because it's it's raising all these very complicated issues. Um, and uh, uh, um, Damon Lindelof, uh, the producer of the of the show um said about it that um uh, that in order for this to be watchmen we have to start with an unsolvable problem a problem that the most well-intentioned superheroes and vigilantes actually cannot solve and now we're in 2009 instead of the 80s uh where the 80s in the original graphic novel the um you know the sort of unsolvable issue was nuclear war uh in this case uh it feels like you can't tell a story about america in any kind of real historical context that doesn't talk about race, um, so that's really, in some ways, what's in in the minds of the of, of the showrunners as they're as they're uh, developing this idea. Um, and uh, what what also struck me um, about the big reveal that you're talking about, Jesse, is that you know you and I uh, really loved Lost, and we um, uh, spent lots and lots of time uh, over the years while the show was on uh, discussing and dissecting that show. And yes. so I, I, I'm going to hold out. Uh, judgment on um, on the role of the clan robe in uh, Don Johnson's character's arc and, and background uh, until we kind of know more because I I'm, I'm sure we haven't learned the whole story there um, and, uh, and and uh, 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 and Lindelof is um, is uh, uh, known for. Uh, for, you know, doing head fakes and, uh, and, and kind of giving a, a, slow, but misleading reveal. So, so who knows? I mean, that, you know, it could have been planted in his closet for all we know. Um, but, um, uh, you know, th- what's, what's, uh, what's, what, so you asked a question about the role of memory, uh, in shaping policy. I think that there's a, a few dimensions of that. The first is, um, you know, not only does memory, the story we tell about ourselves, uh, so history as a kind of relation to memory, not only does it shape our identity, it shapes who we are, but it also um, uh, directs our future, right? It gives, it gives uh, uh, rise uh, to the kind of uh, values that we have and the way we put those values into practice in our communities and, and in society. So this is pre- prevalent throughout Judaism, uh, you know, the, the central story of the Jewish people is uh is the exodus story uh and you know many commentators and scholars suggest that the that that a good portion of the commandments in the torah if you kind of take them in their aggregate and each of them in particular they're trying to create of uh israel uh, of uh, israelite society uh, there and and uh, by extension jewish society uh, a counter egypt right that what that that the Experience that what the story we tell about ourselves about about who we who we are who we were where we came from what happened to us um, shapes our identity in response to it and then directs us in how we're going to uh, um, uh, uh, apply those values. You know, so um, uh, the institution of Shabbat, uh, as just one example, um, is framed in the Torah as Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim as a remembrance of leaving Egypt, right? So in what way is Shabbat uh, a remembrance of leaving Egypt? Uh, Shabbat is a remembrance of le- leaving Egypt because uh, uh, only a free person uh, can uh, uh, can control uh, uh, his or her time and schedule. Only a free person can take a day off. Um, uh, only a free person can uh, um, uh, can enable others to take a day off, right? So on Shabbat, it's not only us that are supposed to take a day off, but atah, uh, vincha, Vitecha you, your children, your, your, your family, your, uh, workers, your, even your animals are supposed to take a day off. So how we, how we relate to, um, uh, those in our, in our uh, spheres of influence are impacted, uh, by that institution. Um, that social policy that's, uh, created, uh, in remembrance of, of historical, uh, uh, experience. Um, so that's, uh, you know, certainly what's at play here, right? That, um, uh, that in the in the self-identity of the you know kind of redford era america the uh, the the memory of racial oppression and violence uh, looms large and uh, and and the and the response to that um is uh, to engineer social policy uh, that uh, that 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 seeks to, uh, uh, you know, change the trajectory of the of the present change, the lives and experiences of, of, uh, of black Americans level of playing field, as it were, uh, between black folks and white folks. So in, you know, in, in the in the telling of the story, right, the black community are living in these very affluent uh, uh, suburban neighborhoods, whereas, uh, you know, there there are, you know, these what they call Nixonvilles, um, these kind of like poor white neighborhoods um, that trailer parks, trailer parks, uh, with with statues of uh, of Richard Nixon holding the V you know sign the victory uh, uh, hand signals up um, that uh, that you know that kind of show you know this sort of um, social flip that has happened uh, largely because of these reparations these red fortations and the um, now now we might look at that and say you know, there, there's something to be said for that. Uh, you know, my, my rabbi, Rabbi Sharon Brous of Icar in L.A. gave a really, really powerful sermon uh, last year on the high holidays and then followed it up with an op-ed um, about why Jews should support uh, reparations for American slavery. And I think she makes a really, really compelling moral argument from the Jewish tradition about that, um, at, at least to for Jews to be uh, elevating and advancing a conversation about it with, within this country, whether or not that means actual monetary payments to descendants of, of slaves. Um, but what the what the show raises is the the potential unintended consequences of of those like restorative, reparative, uh, 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 social justice policies, and um, what happens to you know the those who lose out because of those policies. Right? Any policies are going to have winners and losers. So what happens to those who lose out? And what um, you know what happens in the in the calling of Watchmen um, is that it uh, breeds a significant amount of resentment. Right? There's the, you know the like like you said, Jesse. It it, it leads to the rise of uh, of the of the Seventh Cavalry, um, which uh, which sees itself in some ways as uh, as an organization that's trying to you know restore the previous social order um of of white supremacy <laughs> um and and part of that is born out of the like disaffection and alienation um uh you know that 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 uh, uh the displacement that uh, comes uh, to the white community through this sort of like reengineering of social policy so um you, that, that, to me, was uh, a, you know, like, really, really thought-provoking in this. I mean, we, we You know, Jewish tradition uh, uh, talks about this in some ways, you know. So it um, it says, listen, you're going to leave Egypt. Egypt is part, is part of your historical memory. You're going to create this counter-Egypt, um, but, but you must not hate an Egyptian, um, right? Uh, uh, you must, you know, you must welcome an Egyptian uh, uh, like any other... Uh, uh, immigrant or outsider, and, and provide provide the immigrant with special protection, uh, Egyptian or not, uh, in in the Torah, um, in part to say, you know, just because um, uh, in our historical experience um, a certain group or class of people um, uh, was um, uh, was the cause of our suffering, um, does not mean that we are entitled to return the favor uh, when we find ourselves in power.
1: You know, Mike, if I can ask. Um, I was giving a guest lecture at the Jewish Theological Seminary yesterday um, in a class uh, about the books of the prophets, and it was on um, scripture as inspiration for civil disobedience and social activism, and we were reading um, a letter uh, from June 1964 um, that a group of rabbis, 17 rabbis, who were arrested wrote from a a jail cell in St. Augustine, Florida, about Um, why they got arrested um, for answering Dr. King's call and sitting um, uh, to integrate a lunch counter, a restaurant there in St. Augustine. Um, And they made reference to the Holocaust. Um, It says, we came as Jews who remember the millions of faceless people who stood quietly watching the smoke rise from Hitler's crematoria. We came because we know that second only to silence, the greatest danger to man is loss of faith in man's capacity to act. Um, And some of the students there really pushed back and asked this question. They asked, is our memory um, and history that really guides our policies today, the Holocaust, right? Is our experience Mm -hmm. of the Holocaust, our history of the Holocaust, Um, Again, saying this in 2019, where there are very few survivors of the Shoah uh, left and in another decade from now, uh, likely uh, none, right? Does the Holocaust still guide and dictate who we are and what we believe as Jews um, and how we treat other people and how we stand up?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I mean, you know, you know, on, on one level, you know, the Holocaust is is such a singular atrocity. Um, you know, really, in, in many respects, unparalleled in, in world history. Um, that it's that 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 it, that it makes it hard to uh, to to draw analogies. You know, a good, clear, solid analogies between that event. And anything that's happening today, on the other hand, um, it, you know uh, that you know th- there was there was a really challenging conversation that happened throughout the Jewish community um, and 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 in the wider society um, earlier this year when um, uh, some politicians um, were drawing, in my opinion, uh, apt comparisons between um the the conditions um for uh, immigrants in American detention centers and uh, and and uh, Nazi era concentration camps. Um, and so the question the question, you know, is you know, like uh, um, uh, to what extent you know, can we draw analogies from the holocaust and, and you know, should those analogies uh, shape our policy? But the you know the challenge is that you know that happens, you know people um invoke the Holocaust to either justify or oppose. Um, a lot of things, right? Uh, you know, so people uh, um, uh, talk about uh, Donald Trump as a, a new incarnation of Hitler and, uh, you know, people on the left talk about that and people on the right um, were holding up posters of Barack Obama um, uh, with a Hitler mustache, uh, you know, uh, during the Tea Party era protests of, uh, of, of 2009, 2010. You know, um, uh, you know uh, it, it, on the political right in Israel, uh, Palestinians are often compared uh, to Nazis, uh, and uh, Yitzhak Rabin uh, during the early '90s uh, was uh, was caricaturized, uh, uh, to uh, devastating and deadly effect uh, by many on the political right in Israel. You know, as uh, you know, wear, you know in pictures wearing um, SS uniforms. On the other hand, <laughs> people on the political left. You know, talk about um, you know the settler enterprise, or even uh, Israeli soldiers uh, through the through the prism of uh, of, uh, of you know of of Nazi historical of of the Holocaust historical experience. So, the, so the, one of the challenges that you know um, that analogies can work in both ways, and so that it makes it um, uh, complicated and muddy. Uh, to, to hold it up as a as an example the other thing that i think is really challenging i didn't really answer this question because i don't have like you know a solid answer it's just very thought provoking because um, the other thing that that strikes me is you know um we we celebrate rightly um the many people jew and non-jew in the uh nazi era who resisted um, uh, Nazi policies and refused to comply with Nazi policies, who uh, saved Jewish lives, uh, who uh, refused to carry out orders. Um, you know, it may not have been as pro- prominent as we might have liked, but but it did happen. Um, and so, you know, we, we celebrate people now like Martin Luther King, who had, at the time wasn't celebrated widely for this, but today we celebrate Martin Luther King for, for his civil disobedience, you know, people like Gandhi for their civil disobedience, um, you know, refusing to abide by unjust laws. Um, at the same time, when uh, when people on the other side of, you know, a, a political or ideological spectrum, spectrum from us, um, you know, hold up their own personal values um, uh, ahead of law or social policy uh and you know refuse uh or break the refuse to obey the law or break the law um in um in in, uh, in advance of their own ideologies you know i mean uh, you know I, I hate to you know uh put people like osama bin laden and martin luther king in the same paragraph um but in a continuum of people who were willing to you know break the law in advance of their own uh, ideological agenda um, you know they're, they're, you know' it's, it's I think reasonable to to kind of hold that as the other extreme, right and so what what I think Watchmen offers us is you know uh, how do we how do we hash that out um, of you know when it's right to become a vigilante right when it's right when is it right to say, you know uh, my sense of right and wrong? Um, uh, trumps what may actually be uh, the law or, you know, that my value here is more important than this other value that I'm going to have to break in order to pursue uh, the thing that I think is is more important, right? And so um, Watchmen, I think, really kind of raises that question up where you have, you know, in the original comic book, it talks about the, the moral problematics of people who put on masks to go and take the law into their own hands. And on the other hand, Um, You know, this show shows the problematics of people who have to hide their identities uh, in order to enforce the law and then, you know, become essentially vigilantes breaking the law or going outside the bounds of the law in order to um, uphold um, their their sense of of what the uh, of what the greater good ought to be.
1: Right. Doesn't that then speak to um, our concern with police brutality today? The image of police who were threatened by uh, white supremacist groups, by the 7th Cavalry in the show, but the image of police, and I say this as a chaplain of our local police force, I say this as somebody who also has marched time and time again um, to end police brutality and racial injustice and is a big supporter of uh, Campaign Zero, which really works to uh, change Um, the way police practice works and the way accountability for police practice works. Um, But is the image intentionally one where the police are donning masks because they can act as vigilantes? Um, The irony of the way people were treated in that initial flashback of the Black Wall Street Massacre to um, Regina King's character, Sister Knight, is walking into a trailer in Nixonville Uh, beating a guy up, throwing him in her trunk, uh, not giving him any rights, being interrogated um, by the character known as Looking Glass um, in some weird futuristic um, pod, which I guess is the alternative realities, modern day version of waterboarding. Right. uh, Right? It's the things that we... Fought to end. Now, those who are in positions of power are using those same things um, in this alternative reality to do what they need to do.
0: Right. You know what? What kept on coming up for me in 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 watching this, and especially some of those uh, uh, scenes that you're talking about, Jesse, is um, you know there's this um, paradox in Pirkei Avot in the in the tractate of Mishnah. Um, that's a compendium of, of rabbinic maxims, um, where you know one uh, rabbi teaches um, uh, pray for the welfare of the government because if it wasn't for fear of the government, people would swallow each other alive. And on the other hand, uh, you have uh, one teacher Shmaya uh, who says um, that you should to uh, rabanut, right? Hate hate p- people in positions of authority, uh, and uh, and another rabbi says you know. Uh, uh, be 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 wary of people in positions of authority. Be wary of uh, government officials, um, because they uh, befriend you when they are in need of you, but will but will sell you out when they when they uh, no longer in need of you. So there's this um, there's this paradox in in our uh, literature about about how we should relate to. Um, to the, to the civil and, and civic authorities. And, and that, you know, that came up for me. I, I do want to say one quick thing before I turn it back over to you, um, which is, uh, I I'm, I'm, uh, wary of, uh, uh, some of the uh, hate mail that I'm going to get, um, for, uh, uh, maybe coming across as, um, as comparing, um, Martin Luther King and Osama bin Laden. Uh, so I want to, uh, um, uh, sometimes a live podcast, um, you know, you, you uh, offer the analogies that, uh, that, that pop in your head. So I don't think that there is any comparison between those two uh, figures. Um, and I think that the, the primary uh, reason for that is uh, that uh, Martin Luther King um, uh, believed in advancing his, um, his uh, uh, agenda uh, for you know, inclusion uh, and justice and, and freedom through nonviolence. And Osama bin Laden uh, pursued a vision of, um, of of oppression and domination through horrific violence. Um, good, so, good, save. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Jesse. I, I, so, uh, um, so what do you what do you do with that then? Like, what do you do with um, uh, you know the the, the reality um, of uh, needing um, needing authority, needing uh, uh, you know, government needing law and order. Um, and sometimes, you know, I don't know, like in Jack Nicholson's words from a few good men, like needing people on that wall, right. Um, with the, um, uh, with the, you know, with the, uh, with the, with the parallel need to, you know, to ensure, you know, human rights, human dignity, um, uh, due process, um, in, uh, uh, and, and other values like that?
1: Well, I, I think part of the need is a need of policy and law. Um, and, you know, we fight for changing of laws and expect that when these policies change, the world and society will change. Um, you have all these uh, reparations that are put in place and you still have the Seventh Calvary uh the the police chief's character in the first episode, he said, you know, we thought that they were gone, but they were just in, in hiding. Um, they were just um, building up more strength in, in the shadows planning their, their next attack. Um, it can't just be about changing laws. Um, it has to be about changing the heart and the soul of society and humanity, but we also acknowledge that you can't do that without changing the laws either, right? So, um, in this very liberal society, racism still exists. In this very right. liberal society, there are still those, even if it was a role reversal of sorts, there's still um those who are vulnerable in society. There are still those, even if we're people that um we may disagree with in some of their views. Um, there, There is a separation of class and status and certain people have more rights and certain people's rights are taken advantage of, um, which also really goes to show you what role do the police force play. Are they these heroes in this alternative reality or are they with masks on more vigilantes? They're getting done what they need to get done. You know, at this time of year, we're recording this right before we read Parshat Noach, the Torah portion of Noah and the flood. Uh, and the Torah portion begins, Eilat told on Noah, right, that these are the generations of Noah, but then talks about his deeds and says, Noah yeah. Ish Sadik Tamim Hayab that Noah was in Ish Sadik Tamim, right? He was a a simple and righteous person for his generation, Bedorotov. Yeah. And our our commentators are stuck asking, what does that mean that he was righteous for his generation? Uh, You know, compared to Abraham, he's not so righteous. Abraham was so righteous, but uh, Noah was graded on a curve. um, And when he's graded on a curve, he's he's righteous compared to everybody else. But standing next to somebody who actually is righteous, he wouldn't be seen as that great. And so is that really what the show is also telling us? That these leaders... um, are great compared to what else is out there, uh, but they but they aren't so great, right? There's a difference, yeah. an intentional difference in the Watchmen alternative reality between vigilante and hero. That they're outlawed and they're called vigilantes. They're not called heroes um, because they get the job done, but not necessarily in a heroic fashion. Um, they they may be an ish sadik bedorotav, right? Maybe doing the work for their generation, um, but to, compared to um, a Justice League member or, uh, y- you know, uh, an Avenger, are they that hero?
0: Yeah, you know, so it, uh, it, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Noah, you know, and, and a lot of times uh, people, you know, ask about Noah, you know, so they compare him to Abraham, right? And one of the ways in which they compare him to Abraham uh, is that, you know, Abraham... Uh, in the instance of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, where God uh, points out to Abraham that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are, are, are wicked and uh, God is going to destroy them. Um, God says, uh, Abraham says famously to God, you know, shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? Uh, and, you know, are you really going to wipe out the whole city, um, even if there are innocent people within it? Um, that, that line uh, is in the Watchmen graphic novel, um, uh, related to Dr. Manhattan, who's, who's really this kind of all-powerful uh, creature, right, uh, or, or man. Um, he's, uh, um, you know, talked about in the course of the novel, you know, as, as almost godlike um, because he really transcends space and time. He's uh, essentially, um, if not all-powerful, then he's um, uh, uh, beyond the, the uh, powers of comprehension of, uh, of, of human beings. Um, he really can do just about anything. Um, And yet he's, you know, under the, during the, in the course of the novel, he's, he's essentially under the employ of the American government. Um, You know, so they, they say, you know, the Superman exists uh, and he's an American. Right. Um, And, uh, um, you know, and so, uh, so it, it, you know, shows, you know, is it, you know, is justice dependent on who has the power to wield it um, and is therefore that not justice um, because, the uh, you know the, the situation in, in Watchmen is that in, in the show is that uh, you know there's been this um, kind of radical reordering of society um, uh, in the in the Redford era, um, but there is uh, you know it, it just it, it produces uh, injustice by another name, uh, and uh, and you know and, and it leads me to to wonder you know, if one of the comments that the show is making is is um, that famous teaching by, by King that uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? The fact that there's um, now, you know, a, just a different kind of social inequality that exists in 2019 Tulsa, 2019 America, in the world of the show, um, uh, and that inequality produces um, conflict and threat and violence, um, that's responded to by extrajudicial violence, right? Does is it saying that you know that it doesn't really matter who's experiencing the injustice? So long as there's injustice, there can't be justice. So, um, so that that struck me as um, a, a question that the show is raising. And the other, um, you know, parallel I think to the Noah story is you know this this question of you know uh, we don't know. Uh, definitively, uh, what uh, what the sinful behavior was of, of humanity that uh, caused God to want to wipe out the world? The the uh, the the text just says uh, that the world was filled with maybe violence, maybe lawlessness, uh, maybe just uh, um, uh, pervasive injustice, um, and that uh, and that you know God um, sees that there's no way out of that mess other than destroying everything and starting over. Noah is regarded as a righteous person in in that time, you know, and I think that, you know, among the questions there are, you know, maybe it doesn't take a lot to be a righteous person when everybody around you is so bad that God's going to destroy the world because of it. Um, or maybe it's even harder to be a righteous person in a world where everybody where all your neighbors are just doing terrible things all the time. And the, the social pressure that that produces, you know, to just be like everybody else is probably very strong, you know? So, so in the world of, of watchmen, um, you know, we see that question kind of play out, you know, in the, in the graphic novel, you know, Rorschach is you know, kind of regarded as a moral absolutist, right? He, he, he won't let himself become corrupted by society's corruption and, you know, tries to uh, um, exact definitive and perfect justice on everybody who deserves it. He, he's the one person who refuses to take off his mask and uh, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, um, abide by the ban Against superheroes, because he's so committed to justice, and yet he's also the most broken and delusional of the characters, the most in some ways hateful of the characters, and perhaps you know that's something that that the that the current show is raising by having these white supremacists don Rorschach's identity, you know to take the law into their own hands.
1: Well, I think it's really easy um, to misappropriate. Um, someone's writing, somebody's beliefs, somebody's teachings. Um, you know, I, I was asked earlier this week when I say, you know, to me, this is what the Torah teaches. Um, and I had somebody say, well, I could look at that verse very differently. And I said, you're right. You know, Torah is subjective. Uh, and Torah certainly in influences my view on society, but my views on society influence my understanding of Torah uh, I think our faith stands for certain things because if it didn't, it would be very hard for me to be a faithful Jew. Um, right. I am a, a rabbi. I am a Jew because of the things I believe Judaism stands for. Uh, but I also think it's quite easy to misappropriate Torah, um, right? Just sell it to the seventh Calvary does, right? They're taking Rorschach and saying, Hey, we're going to use his face to stand up to corruption, to stand, to wage war against um, minorities, against police, uh, specifically because they were trying to end racial injustice because they're enforcing the reparations laws Um, and how easy it is for uh, scripture to be Uh, spewed in a hateful manner, Uh, which is why when people ask me why I think speaking about justice is is so important as a rabbi, I always respond because in the world that we live in, so many people are using religion as an excuse for hate and as an excuse for violence, as an excuse for fear, um, as an excuse for bigotry. And so if I believe that's not what Judaism says, if I believe that's not what Torah says, if I believe um, that it preaches something different, I need to make sure that I share that, and I share it a lot louder than uh, the hateful rhetoric that is out there.
0: Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I talked about that on uh, Rosh Hashanah. I'm uh, in Richmond, Virginia, as you know, which um, uh, was the uh, capital of the uh, Confederate States uh, for a time, and um, was in many respects the capital city of slavery before the Civil War. Um, and Virginia itself, you know, being uh, the, the the first uh, British colony in in North America, um, uh, you know, was really ground zero for uh, for what became racialized slavery and, and 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 racism in the country. And I traced that in my sermon to say that we need to grapple with the uh, the religious roots of slavery and racism. Um because it were it was religious ideas. it was readings of the Bible, it was theology um, that, uh, that 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 uh, animated and or justified um the the you know earliest um, uh, slave trade in in Virginia right we're commemorating right now the four hundredth uh, anniversary of the first uh, slaves uh, coming to the Virginia colony uh, in, in uh, sixteen nineteen. so, um, uh, so I think that that's a really, really important point, Jesse. That um, uh, that you know, uh, um, religion has been and continues to be um, utilized in uh, in you know, that uh, in a way that that either religion animates or is used as a defense uh, for for otherwise um, really oppressive uh, uh, perspectives and policies. Um, in some way, what we need are religious voices that can push back against that and, uh, provide the, the counter narratives from a religious perspective that, uh, that, that can argue against those things, because it's true. You could read the, you know, there's, it's a perfectly plausible read of the Bible that it, uh, that, that it justifies slavery. Uh, uh, and you know, I, it's not my read of the Bible. Um, I, I think that there are good arguments why that's not the, uh, the pro the proper read of the Bible um, but you know the Bible certainly seems to condone uh, certain forms of slavery in a number of uh, uh, in a number of places so um so so we need religious voices that are able to push back against uh, readings of tradition um that uh, that that are really harmful to people but the 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 other thing that watchman I think points out is that it's not just religion right that there are um, that there are, you know, things that we identify as religion, you know, uh, involve tend to involve, uh, faith, uh, in, you know, in, in, in the supernatural, in, in, uh, in, in the, in divinity. Um, you know, we, we, you know, when we think of religion, we probably think of, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, uh, but, uh, uh, modern political ideologies can be, um, uh, uh just as religious, you know, so, um, uh, you know, fascism, communism, um, uh, arguably, are uh, uh, as much religious identities as they are political ideologies. Uh, democracy Democratic values, in some ways, are as much religions as they are a religion as it is a political ideology. Um, you know, there was a scene in the second episode of Watchmen where um, uh, they uh, talk to. Uh, one of the police detectives in Tulsa uh, who wears a red mask and he's, uh, he's, called, uh, you
1: remember he's, what he's, he's called. Yeah. Um, he's called red scare. He's like a red communist yeah. police. Right. Detective.
0: And he's, right, he's he's got a Russian accent. And so they call him a Nazi and he says, no, I'm a communist. Uh, right. And I think that the joke that the show is trying to say is that, you know, uh, uh, as a, um, uh, as a se- essentially like a religious a fundamentalist religious ideology you know those are two sides of the same coin and so I think you know one of the um uh one of the things that this show is i think inviting us to reflect on um which I think Judaism does too we're the heirs of a tradition uh that comes from you know the Talmud and the midrash um which are about debate and conversation and nuance um that uh that you know we we should um, be wary of anything that's presented to us as, uh, forgive the pun here, but black and white, right? And, you know, that's present in, you know, Tulsa, it, the, the, the divisions and tensions in Tulsa are between black and white. And, you know, the, the white supremacists um, are, are wearing masks that are black and white. Uh, and I think one of the things the show is inviting us to think about is, is uh, maybe the problem is black and white thinking.
1: It's a, I think it's a great point, Mike. Um, you know, I want to go back to something that that you were saying um, about um, policies and changing society um, and how it was really just a flip of the script and um, uh, there's still injustice, right, uh, going on in this show in an effort to gain justice for some, injustice justice was created for others. Um, and I think you know, when you look at Parshat Re'ev, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 15 um, in verse 4, right, where we're told, yevecha that there should be no needy among you, and then in verse 7, ki yevecha mechad mecha asher adonai lach, lo right, that, that as long as there are those who are needy among you, don't um, close your heart to them, don't harden your heart to them, help them, and then, four verses later, in verse 11, right? for there will always be needy among you. So, verse 4, we're told, there shall be no needy among you. We're supposed to strive and fight for this idea of justice, the tzedek tzedek terdof mentality. And then, in verse 7, we're told, hey, as long as we see those who are vulnerable, we need to help them, so that we get to a point, until we get to a point in society where there's nobody vulnerable. And then in verse eleven, we're told, "Oh, by the way, that may be a utopian idea that we never get to, but yet we never stop trying." So I think that's also, I think the lesson um, in this alternative reality—they're not done, right? That that they're accepting that even when you think that racism and bigotry doesn't exist, the seventh, seventh Calvary. Um, is just uh, lying in the weeds, uh, hiding in the sewers, regaining strength. Um, you know, some could say that that's no different than the rise of hate in this country. We used right. to think that we were past certain expressions of anti-Semitism, uh, but they are alive and well in this country. Uh, but that's not to say that, uh, and and I think such bigotry may always exist. In some pockets of the population and among some people, that doesn't mean we don't get to a point and strive for a point in society where it is clear to all that they should not be given a platform or a megaphone or a soapbox.
0: Right, uh, but you know, it's also it's also important to point out that um, uh, that you know, in in Watchmen, you know, I think that you know the the the, uh, the reality would play, would play out different if. You know, um this may be in- imposing an assumption on the show, but I think it's borne out by the way the story is being told that um, uh, that you know that that the Redford era policies um of uh, of you know um, of racial justice, um, you know there there's a sense that Redford was president for you know thirty years, I think by the time the show comes about. Um, you know that that um, uh, that you know that that we've solved this problem, right? And I think what the show is showing is like, no, you solved a problem, um, you sure. didn't solve the problem, and you may have created other problems. And you, you know, you won't solve the problem of of racism just by instituting um, a, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a, you know, an economically just, you know, uh, reordering of, of the system. You also have to um, engage the hearts and minds of people, um, which it doesn't seem like it did. And, um, you know you have to also um, uh, lift up uh, uh, those who are going to be most negatively impacted by, um, by by the shift, right? And I think, you know, that's one thing that people talked a lot about after the election of Donald Trump, which was so surprising and so to many unsettling, was, you know, there's clearly a feeling among a significant portion of the population in this country um, of, of, uh of, of displacement um and uh um, and and alienation um, given all of the really radical um uh changes uh, that have that, that the country's undergone in the last you know 10 20 years um from you know from a social uh perspective from an economic perspective now whether the people are justified in those feelings of displacement is uh, is is a reasonable question whether people's sense of who's responsible for the displacement um, is justified. That's another reasonable question, right? And I think that a lot of times, you know, the the you know the the feeling of displacement, you know, uh, morphs into um, uh, anti-Semitism and other forms of bigotry. You know, um, uh, what to do about it. Uh, you know, or like what, you know, what, what causes it, you know, as much about, um, you know, uh, decisions to make certain uh, uh, industries automated, the reliance in some areas and, in being, you know, so wedded to industrial modes of production um, uh, that, that are no longer uh, relevant in our area, you know, whatever, there's, there's a million things that you could say about it. Um, you know, so uh, I'm not at all sympathizing with the um with with the choice to you know to um to uh, uh, elect our current president um, or to uh, like uh, all the more so to to turn to um, uh, 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 racism, bigotry, anti-Semitism. Um, but I think that there is a sense that um, that that those who um, do believe in um in in inclusion and justice, um, uh, especially for historically oppressed and marginalized peoples, um, to also be mindful of um, of of the of the people who are um, going to be um, uh, who are going to be on the on, on the short end of the equation when we expand uh, when when we ex- or who are going to feel like they're on the short end of the equation when we expand those policies, and to be and and to be mindful. Um, and wary of of supporting and lifting up and helping them too
1: Mike you know I think um, this may be a good place to stop uh, I'm really interested to see um, what comes next in this series I think this first season uh, was slotted for nine episodes on HBO um, so we've only seen the first two so far it'd be really interesting to see um, what surprises um, as, as you said that Damon Lindelof has up his sleeve,
0: right? And I and I suspect Jesse that, given our uh, history with with Lost and and other shows like it, this this probably won't be the last time that uh, that that we take to the pod uh, to talk about Watchmen.
1: Agreed. Well, until next time, everyone.
0: <laughs> take care.